Welcome, you're listening to Alpaca My Bags. I'm your host, Aaron. Today on the pod, we are chatting with Zach. Hey, Zach. Hey. By day, he works in the field of education and mental health, and by night, he is a writer, involved member of Toronto's queer community, and a relentless checker of travel apps, aren't we all? Yes. Zach and I are going to chat about LGBTQ plus travel, and then Zach is going to tell us about some selfie mishaps he had in Istanbul. Yes. Um, so, icebreaker question. Mm-hmm. Most memorable trip you've ever been on? I think this one will resonate with you. Uh, it was when I traveled to Morocco a couple of years ago, and we booked this uh, trip from Marrakesh to the desert. And like mm-hmm. you, I have a desert thing. Yes. Um, and what I didn't expect was to go from, you know, the pretty moderate climate of Marrakesh through blizzarding mountains, mm. through Martian-like landscapes to some of the most bumpy travel I've ever had, mm-hmm. camels blocking our way to like the middle of nowhere <laughs> desert in, in eight hours. So it was just like it, every aspect of that trip blew my mind and it's there forever. It's it's one of those things you never forget. That was honestly one of the toughest drives I ever Same. did, but like also the most rewarding. Yes. I literally cried when I saw the desert for the first time. You, me too. Me like too. out of beauty. Yeah. I cried that it smelled like dirt. I was like, it smells <laughs> like dirt here. Like it was just, it was great. <laughs> I was listening, you know, Odessa. Yes. I was listening to Odessa and it added <laughs> to the emotion because you know how like dramatic it is. Yes. It was amazing. Uh, well, I'm actually just back from alpacking my bags. I went on a road trip across Jordan, which was pretty epic. Saw lots of camels there too. Had to go because of the desert. Jealous. Was nice to escape Canadian winter, but um, I did not realize this, which is like stupid, but the Middle East actually gets quite cold. So yeah, I, I didn't realize I was in the desert in off season and, yeah. in shorts and it was two degrees in the morning and I was like, I know. what are you doing? You don't think that, no. but yeah. Where are you headed next? Oh, uh, well, I just got back from India, Sri Lanka and the UAE and um, I'm quickly going to Colombia. Very oh, soon, yeah. so yeah. I'm excited to hear how that goes. Yeah, for sure. We had a guest on named Sheer who's obsessed with Columbia. Oh, yeah. So maybe we should get you two together. Yes, please. Um, so a couple of weeks back, we did an episode with Bella Black, which was about traveling as women through the framework of her experiences as well as mine. We discussed the challenges that women face and discrimination that women face while traveling because of their gender identity. But of course, discrimination is hardly limited to gender identity. Travelers face discrimination targeting their racial or ethnic identity, um, but of course, their sexual identity as well. So we've got Zach here to chat with us about LGBTQ plus travel. I'm going to preface this convo by letting everyone know that I identify as straight, and so therefore I can't speak to the experience of sexual identity-based discrimination. So I'm here to learn just as I'm sure many of our listeners are. So thank you, Zach, for taking the time to talk to us about your experiences. You're welcome. So another sort of disclaimer, in this episode, we're focusing mostly on LGBTQ plus travel from the perspective of gay identity. I think it's important to dedicate a moment to considering that LGBTQ plus travelers should not be lumped into one homogenous group. So for example, trans travelers will face different challenges and different forms of discrimination while traveling. Much of my reading has described horrific experiences in airport security reported by trans people. Um, So I think that they face like very different challenges. To cover the experiences of trans people traveling will definitely take up another episode. And we're actually doing our best to make sure that this happens in the future. 
Um, so to start, Zach, do you want to explain to us what LGBTQ plus stands for? Of course. So there's many variants. Um, uh, for a long time, uh, people referred to us as the LGBT community. Um, but um, as we became more aware of the diversity within our community, um, it's taken on a lot more than that. So LGBTQ stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transsexual, queer, questioning. And then there's a plus which involves um, a lot of other groups, uh, and they can include intersex, asexual, pansexual, two-spirited, um, non-conforming, gender non-conforming, fluid. So it's basically a, a kind of a catch-all for people who don't identify either as the sex they were born with mm-hmm. or um, not cisgender or not heterosexual. And can you explain what cisgender is for people who don't know? Yeah, so cisgender are people like me. I was born with male parts and I live my life as a male and my gender kind of matches my sex. Mm-hmm. So I'm cisgender, yeah. Yeah, as am I. Um, can you tell us about your or the com- or your community's lived experience here in Canada? Because, um, I mean, like Canadians are definitely considered very liberal and accepting people, but I'm sure that discrimination is still quite an active issue here. Absolutely, yeah. And it depends on who you ask. I mean, for example, uh, homosexuality was decriminalized 50 years ago. It'll be June 27th, I believe, is the 50-year anniversary of decriminalization of homosexuality. So people who've lived longer than that will have had a different experience than I do. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, as recently as 2012, Toby's Act here in Ontario included gender identity and expression in the human rights code. Mm. So that is now protected as of 2012. Um, as we know, marriage equality happened in 2005. So uh, from a legal perspective, we're protected. But I mean, if you see, I mean, if you talk to people, I, I like how you preface this with a discussion about uh, especially trans people, people of color in this community. Uh, socially, they do experience a lot, a lot of discrimination, a lot of harassment. And that's, I mean, you can see that play out in, in pride politics and politics in the community. So legally, I would say it's, um, we're on good footing compared with the rest of the world. If you, if you talk to people in the, the queer trans community, people of color, they will, they will say other things, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would, I would also venture to guess that living in a city is a very different experience than living in like rural Canada. Yeah. I mean, in, th- in thinking of this, of this, actually, when you asked me to do this episode, we often think of travel as, you know, transnational. Mm. I've traveled within Canada as well. I grew up in a small town, definitely experienced discrimination as a gay person. As recently as two years ago in, you know, small town Ontario, people saying really terrible things about the queer community and not knowing that I'm that. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, it's everywhere, yeah. really. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the lowdown on LGBTQ plus life here in Canada. So while queer, gay, trans, and non-gender conforming identities are now decriminalized in Canada and meant to be socially accepted with government efforts in place to protect rights, there is still a long way to go before we achieve proper equality on a social level. Um, that said, Canada is much better in much better standing than much of the world. So according to the International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans, and Intersex Association, ILGA, there are 72 countries where homosexuality is still illegal. That's actually a third of the world, which is pretty wild. In eight of those, homosexuality is punishable by death. Obviously, this fact will have an impact on LGBTQ plus identifying folks and their travel tendencies, not to mention the socioeconomic factors that impact the community and and likely restrict their ability to travel just from a financial standpoint. But before we get more into that, could you tell us a bit about your experiences traveling? 
Of course, yeah. Um, it, it's all across the board, really. The, fir- the first country I went to was Romania, and I was 15. And uh, at that time, it was in, in 2000, and they were um, going through an election campaign where they were debating whether or not gay people should be afforded um, anti-discrimination, anti-harassment rights. And all across Bucharest, there were posters that I later translated that said, no, 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 no to homosexuals. No. Yeah. And I wasn't out yet, but I had definitely been thinking about it and it had been, you know, something I was struggling with. Was it a family trip? No, it was with my school. So um, it was, it was challenging to see that because I didn't, I mean, I was 15. I didn't know the nature of the world at that point in my life. So that kind of, I mean, gave me the awareness that... Everywhere I go in the world is not going to be the way it is in Canada for me. So that was that was kind of the first memory I had. And during that same trip, I went to Italy. And we were there for when um, the Pope was doing this big address. So we went to this big field where he was giving this big address. And there were a lot of people flying rainbow flags. Oh. And so in my head, I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. Wow, I went to a Catholic school, so I was like, is the church gay-friendly? Have I missed something? <laughs> and so I asked I asked um, the people we were with, and they said, no, that's that's a flag for peace. It had it had Pache written on it, on the flag. I just didn't see it. Yeah. And so I was like a little bit disappointed. I was like, okay, so there's another thing I'm learning on this trip. Um, but I mean, it, it varies. If, if I go to places like, I, uh, when I went to Morocco, to the Sahara, mm-hmm. we had a really long layover in Amsterdam. So in Amsterdam... As we all know, it's pretty laid back, right? Basically anything goes. So you could be comfortable. Me and my, my partner at the time were okay with public affection. We didn't have to worry about where we were staying, what people would do or say. Uh, but then we flew to Morocco and we knew we had to be a little bit more careful with um, how we behaved with each other in public. We got an Airbnb with a bunch of friends and slept in separate rooms because the Airbnb had a host and we didn't want to... Um, part of it was we didn't want to put ourselves at risk, mm. but we also didn't want to, you know, impose anything on anyone. Right. Right. We didn't want to make we didn't want to make the trip any more difficult than it had to be, yeah. and that's a sacrifice I was willing to make. The trip ended up being totally amazing. Yeah. But those are things you ha- you have to be aware of as a queer person while traveling, and sure. I'm saying that as a you know a guy who's got passing privilege. Most people assume I'm straight. Mm. I'm almost six and a half feet tall. I'm, I'm white, so that also adds another layer to it, right? So, I mean, for me, I have to take those types of precautions when traveling. It, it gets more intense, you know, if, you are, if you're a trans person traveling, like you mentioned, or a person of color traveling in areas where it's not so safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I mean, the considerations that have to be made there are quite, quite big. So, I mean, another experience I had... Uh, and this might come through in our discussion, but I have a love affair with India. Mm-hmm. And the first time I went to India, um, homosexuality was decriminalized. And I remember going there. This was, I think, 11 years ago. And in India, men, heterosexual men, are very affectionate with each other. Yeah. So I remember getting there, and I was out at the time. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, I, I was walking around Delhi, and men were like sitting on benches, holding each other's thighs yeah. beside each other, holding hands. And it was so cute. I'm like, this is the gayest place I've ever been. <laughs> and my friends were like, no, that's just like a cultural norm. It's actually very, it's very taboo here. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that was very interesting. That was something that I, I, I totally blew my mind at the time. And I was in India last year and uh, homosexuality was recriminalized at the end of 2013. Yeah. So 
a complete, I mean, it wasn't a completely different environment for me, but politically it was. And a lot of my friends uh, who I know in India were very invested. They're queer as well. They were very invested in, in abolishing Article 377, which is the anti-buggery law from colonial times, mm-hmm. which criminalized it initially. Mm-hmm. So um, I was there uh, last year at this time, and we were in Mumbai, which is a ginormous city full of congestion, full of people, and it was pride. And they had organized this huge pride march. I don't know how many people were there, but it it takes on a different meaning there because they were actually fighting for something, Mm -hmm. like something political. It was a very political march. And and my friends had invited me to go. So, of course, I went and I walked with them. And it was it was very much a case of taking up space where you're not welcome Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. So we walked. and, And I mean, to me, that was very, a very memorable, important experience for me because it really gave me insight into the lives of people who who live in that type of climate it's very different being queer in india or or china or or you know in canada it's very different and you have to be aware of those things when you're traveling mm-hmm. you can't impose what you believe is right when you go right you have to you have to have a level of understanding mm-hmm. so that was really cool and then india decriminalized homosexuality again very recently which it was a day i won't forget i mean that was amazing um and now um i mean i've just gotten back and now it's a different scenario again so it's really exciting yeah Yeah. that's so it's so interesting how you've seen india just india alone go through all these changes back and forth over time it's also funny you say that about affection because when my partner and i were in india we actively didn't show affection Mm -hmm. for each other because as a heterosexual couple it's very taboo yes yeah it's just funny when you know i mean you notice things like this has nothing to do with my sexuality but when i'm in india because i'm so i'm tall i'm a a tall guy Mm -hmm. um a lot of people want to get their picture taken with me which is uh, makes me uncomfortable, but I've I've talked to friends about this. Like, should I do this? Should I should I not? You know, it's it's a it's a very um, if you're an ethical traveler, it's a very um, constant conversation in your head about you know is it is it? I mean, they're taking pictures of me because I'm a tall white guy. Yeah, is that something I should support? Is that something I should not? Mm-hmm. Who, right? It's a it's a difficult discussion. We struggled with it too, especially because it was so constant that sometimes it was annoying. Yes. Which I felt I felt bad that I was annoyed by it, but it really was. Like sometimes yeah. you'd be at a religious site and it would be like entire families, everyone wanting a, a picture with you. Yeah. And and I was doing a lot of reading on this actually after my last trip and and reading about travelers' ethics. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't necessarily from a queer perspective, but I mean as somebody who has a level of privilege um, it's an, important for me to think about these things, right? So um, I was reading about codes of ethics and how you can't enforce ethics when you're traveling. There's no, nobody's enforcing ethics on you. It's something that you have to decide for yourself. So for me, I tend to veer on the side of, you know, let, let them do what's comfortable for them. Don't impose too much. Mm-hmm. Um, try, to, try to observe as much as possible. Listen to the people who you're around. Make friends. But don't impose. So uh, that kind of informs my decision as a, I mean, a traveler, but as a queer traveler as well, it's important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So how much research do you do generally before you travel to a country? Like, or how much does a country's treatment of the LGBTQ community factor into your travel travel choices? That is, that is really, <clears throat> pardon me, a really hard question because it's very, it's very contextual. And for example, as recently as four years ago, I would have said, I'm never going to Jamaica just because you hear in the media about uh, how homophobic it is there. 
However, having talked to people in the queer Jamaican community, there is a very vibrant queer community there. A lot of my friends actually go to Montego Bay and March in Pride. Mm-hmm. Would I go for that if they invited me and welcomed me there? Absolutely, I would. So it's, it's, it depends. I'm, a big thing in the media right now is Russia. How, how they're, I mean, they're, they're reaching genocidal levels in Chechnya of how they treat gay people there. Would I go there? I don't think I could. Yeah. I don't think I could, right? And, and it's, it's a hard thing. I, I, read, I definitely read a lot of articles written by uh, queer people about the, you know, the reasons why they travel, what mm-hmm. they consider when they travel. And I was reading um, a really great article um, by Lance Richardson. He wrote, he wrote it for Slate. And he wrote about the complicated ethics of traveling as a queer person. And I emailed him before I went to Turkey because I, I, it was the first time I was going to a primarily Muslim country. And I wanted to, to know what his thoughts were because I really valued his opinion. And he said, like, like I was saying earlier, it, it depends on your personal ethic. If you're going there um, as somebody to take up space and you know, be a little bit selfish with your travels, you're putting yourself at risk. And you're not really doing any favors for the local community. But if you're going there to experience, genuinely experience a culture, you may have to hide parts of yourself. You may have to tell people you're straight. Yeah. You may have to not be affectionate with your partner. You may have to sleep in separate rooms. It really is a balance, right? It's a balance of, you know, what's good for me and the people who are there. So it's, a re- it's really tricky. And I think, I think it's, I mean, traveling is a privilege. Mm-hmm. You ha- you I, for me for me, I need to do the research. Priv- the privilege of traveling um, requires that mm-hmm. for sure. Absolutely, and yeah. we've talked about that a lot in previous episodes, mm-hmm. especially in our episode about Morocco, when we talked about exactly that. That before going to Morocco as a woman, you should evaluate why you're going and what kind of trip you expect to have, yes. and be willing to give up some of the comforts of your life in Canada to experience Morocco. Yes. It's, you have to be willing to let go of the privileges that you experience. Yes, you have to. Yeah. And it, I mean, my boyfriend, he's a person of color, queer person of color. And I mean, we were in Costa Rica in October. And the reason why we picked Costa Rica was because they're on the verge of legalizing marriage equality. Uh, so we felt good about going just from a political standpoint. Um, but the considerations that we need to make uh, for ourselves and for the people there... And that's a discussion we had to have is, you know, will we be affectionate with each other? What are some environments we don't want to find ourselves in? Where will we have to be extra careful? Mm-hmm. So it so happened our, our where we were staying in Puerto Viejo was um, near. Uh, we didn't even know, actually, weirdly enough, we did research, but didn't find this out. Um, we were by a hotel that was run by a queer couple. <gasps> and we went to have um, drinks there because I, I burnt the first day I was there. So I couldn't, <laughs> as usual. Um, yeah. So I couldn't, I really enjoy the beach as much, but this was a beachside hotel and we were there and we noticed we were having drinks and I was like, there's lesbians everywhere. <laughs> this is awesome. So we looked it up and it, and it, and it, we found out that it was a queer friendly hotel run by queer people. So we're like, maybe we should, maybe we should spend more time here. I mean, it's part of me wants to go and experience a lot of things, but right. there's really good value in spending your time and money on places that are friendly. Yeah, absolutely. So that's another part of it, too. I mean, my upcoming trip for Colombia as well, um, we're going to Bogota, which is one of the most, you know, vibrant, has one of the most vibrant queer communities in South America. And, and that's important to us. However, 
at the same time, it's one of the most dangerous countries in the world for trans people. Mm. So it's a scale. It's a it's a it's an ever never ending discussion in your head about how you do it. Totally. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your experience. Lots of great insight. So there's definitely parallels between the experiences of women traveling and those who identify within the LGBTQ plus spectrum, mainly that we share this need to be aware and this need to research before we travel. Absolutely, yeah. So I want to introduce an organization which provided a lot of the information for this episode, which is IGLTA. It's the International Gay and Lesbian Travel Association. So they're actually the leading member-based global organization dedicated to LGBTQ tourism. It was founded in 1983 by gay and lesbian travel agents, and it now operates in 80-plus countries. The association provides members the opportunity to customize their travel experiences and share it with others through planning tools, trip ideas, events, and travel deals from LGBT tourism-related businesses. Um, Just browsing their site, I found that they're a wealth of information and a fantastic resource. Yeah, it totally is. And on the topic of hotels, I noticed... Every, everywhere in the world, they have a list of hotels yes. that are considered safe, yes. which is a fantastic resource. Um, and I'll share in the show notes the link to this organization. So I want to bring up the travel concerns that I found seem to resonate the most amongst LGBTQ plus travelers. And one concern we've touched on in a little bit is showing affection. Yes. So Christine Johnson, who is a digital media and marketing professional, writes that while traveling, I'm rarely affectionate with my partner in public because I fear the possibility of backlash, negative attention, and possibly dangerous confrontations. And her sentiment is backed up by a study that I dug up, which was conducted by Virgin Holidays. They didn't provide the parameters or details of the focus group for this study. So keep in mind, I'm not sure exactly how reliable this study is, um, but it's still interesting. It claimed that only 5% of LGBT couples surveyed by Virgin Holidays said they felt comfortable showing affection to their partner abroad. And this is compared to 84% of straight couples. Um, And showing affection can range from holding hands to applying sunscreen to a partner's back. According to a report by the World Tourism Organization, 32% of LGBTQ travelers feel that they are treated differently due to their sexuality when on holiday. Can you relate to these concerns? Yeah, I tend to not not travel with the LGBTQ life in mind like I don't go places for specifically queer tourism Mm. I like to go because I'm interested I've always wanted to go and then I do my research accordingly I think if you asked people who tend to go to gay friendly areas or who travel with queer organizations they would probably say they do feel safe Mm -hmm. Um, but when I'm traveling for sure um, safety is definitely a concern there are times where I, you know, you get in a habit with your partner. You want to hold hands in public, especially here in Toronto. Like, yeah, you can, we can do that, no problem. But it's a habit, right? So sometimes, you know, we'll have to ch- kind of check each other and be like, we can't do that here right now. We're in a market in Marrakesh right now. We can't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that really detracts from the experience of traveling because traveling is for most people. They go in with the idea in mind that it'll be relaxing and fun. Yes. And it's quite exhausting mentally to have to keep yourself in check over something that's a habit. I would I would say, yeah, I would say that you're probably speaking from the perspective of people who don't have to worry about that stuff. But I mean, you were talking about this with Bella, saying I could totally relate to it. It is exhausting to always have to have that on your mind. 
Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of people do have to deal with that. And what I love about the traveling community is we talk to each other and we learn from each other. Mm-hmm. And I think that if, you know, you were, I mean, you were talking about how um, what really spoke to me was, was when you were assaulted in Marrakesh, right? Mm-hmm. And how all you want to do is talk about your experience. Yeah. That can that really does help. It really does help. And I think it's important that the people who aren't affected by these things, by, you know, having to check themselves when it comes to affection or, you know, having to make sh- always watching their back or something, it's important for them to listen. Absolutely. And and I think that I mean this these stats are good. I think that it depends on who you ask. Totally. So it's it's a, it's to me talking and learning is the important thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um So you've actually already touched on something that I wanted to bring up, Mm -hmm. which is the LGBTQ plus focused travel market, which is booming. Yes. Um, So according to the IGLTA Association, uh, LGBTQ tourism refers to the development and marketing of tourism products and services to lesbian, gay, bisexual or transgender people. So specific cities and events target this community, and they draw huge amounts of tourists. For example, Gay Pride in Toronto, Montreal, San Francisco, New York, Tel Aviv, Amsterdam. These events draw tourists from the community from all over the world. Um, So you've touched on it already. So you've obviously participated in this. Yeah. Yeah. It's I mean, I mean, you've mentioned primarily Western cities where pride tends to be a celebration. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes sense that queer people would want to go and celebrate. a lot of people would say that Tel Aviv's pride, for example, is a little bit problematic because it it's pink washes the the stuff that actually goes on. It it makes um, you know it paints the picture that it's tolerant, but really there's a lot of stuff going on under the surface. A lot of people would say that, mm-hmm. uh, and that's something I would consider ethically if I was to travel there for sure. I would have to do my research. Can you explain what pink washing is? For yeah, so pink washing. Yeah, so pink washing is it has many it has many forms. A, a recent example I can think of is um, there's an influencer, and, and Bella also talked about this recently, and I feel her on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, an influencer who, who is a queer, a queer person. He's Canadian and Egyptian, Omar Sharif Jr., and he was invited to Saudi Arabia <gasps> on a trip um, where they, they um, kind of showed off this vision, I think it's called Vision 2030, where they have this this idea that they're going to be very liberal by 2030 they're going to start you know introducing and and it's problematic too because they're they're saying we're going to introduce like western things like movie theaters and and you know women (laughs) singing in public which which that is problematic in and of itself and probably (laughs) worthy of our podcast yeah um but he went there and he posted on facebook and i was i was really really sad about it it was pictures of him he's he's a very attractive man yeah he's got a really big queer following he was shirtless on a plane, traveling first class, with a <laughs> glass of champagne in his hand, posing beautifully amidst the beautiful landscapes with, you know, very carefully placed women with their hair down, yeah. saying, you know, if you would have asked me if Saudi Arabia would have been the most inspirational place I've ever traveled two years ago, I would have challenged you, but it's changed. <sighs> and it's just, that is pinkwashing. That is, that's using, using the idea that if you are liberal or accepting or tolerant of, of queer people and queer lives, that that makes you actually that. Mm-hmm. When in reality, it's not. That's pinkwashing. So, yeah. so back to, I mean, back to what you said about, about, you know, people traveling for prides. I think it's great. I love that, especially here in Toronto, it's become a celebration um, but like I said, Mumbai Pride was not, it was a celebration, but it was also 
a statement. And it was also, there was a purpose, a very political purpose to it. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of queer people, um, they'll travel to for for sex and nightlife, which is great too, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, when I when I go to Bogota, definitely going to hit up. I mean, they have they have the biggest queer club in South America. Definitely mm-hmm. want to check that out, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of different reasons. Um, for me, speaking from my experience, I like to go to celebrate, but I also like to go to understand the experience of other people other queer people in other countries. So, and that's how I gear my research, right? Like when, when I was traveling to Morocco, I wanted to see, is there a voice for queer people in Morocco? Mm. The answer is not really, but a lot of Moroccan people in Spain have, they have a publication. I I forget what it's called, but, um, and I, you know, I, I read about that to understand what, where I was going. Right. And I think that's really, that's really important as, as, you know, having the, the privilege to travel, that's, that is an important part of it for me is mm-hmm. understanding that that life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so the market is now expanding because millennial queer folks, uh, according to studies, are venturing beyond the destinations that have been typically deemed comfortable and safe, mm-hmm. um, largely by this tourism niche. Uh, in recent year, there's, years, there's been a boom in planning and touring agencies that specifically cater to queer travelers. Um, these agencies take into account the specific needs and concerns of queer travelers. So, for example, they'll partner with hotels that have been deemed LGBTQ plus friendly. So IGLTA has created a great resource for finding these agencies, um, all accessible on their website. What do you think about this? I think, I mean, it's important for people to be safe when they travel. And I think that that is something you need to pay attention to as a queer traveler. But what constitutes LGBTQ plus friendliness is totally contextual based on where you go. So for, for you know, if you're going to Mykonos, which is, you know, a huge party all the time, it, it just is by nature that way. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was in Athens, I we decided to go to some gay-friendly spots. They don't really have any specifically gay spaces or queer spaces, but friendly places. And we were really excited about it. And the one, the place we went to was called The Rooster, I believe. And it was hidden. It was, it was in a pretty busy spot, but it was hidden behind a bunch of bushes, so you couldn't see it. It was a little nook in the wall. And that's what's queer-friendly to them, right? right. So it, depend, it depends on where you go. That's something else you have to research. What does it mean to be right. queer-friendly? right. So to finish up, as a woman, my own experience traveling, especially like solo, has been very empowering. Um, I've written about this a lot. It's helped me to gain confidence in myself. It's helped me develop a strong sense of independence, things that I definitely was not taught growing up as a woman. Yes. Um, Do you think that traveling can empower queer identifying folks in a similar way? I think so. I think... uh... For me, for me, it's easy to get stuck in a bubble here and it's easy to, you know, to live my life, go to my job, be safe, work really hard, you know, get a promotion, you know, the usual things we think of mm-hmm. and traveling really opens my eyes to, you know, the, the challenges that other people face in other parts of the world, but it also humbles me a lot. And, and it's really taught me that that listening to people is really important. I mean, we have people, queer people in Toronto who don't feel safe, you know, especially queer people of color don't feel safe with the police. That's a problem right now. That's what pride is becoming about, which in my opinion is a good thing. Yeah. So, so that humbleness, it really comes to me through travel. And I think that's an important thing for a lot of people to be aware of. How can, how can you use other experiences around the world in your, in your own experience 
you know, to, to, to be aware of that. It's an awareness thing for sure. Mm -hmm. And it makes you really appreciate things. There's nothing, there's nothing better than going somewhere and appreciating it for what it is. And then coming home and saying, you know, I, this is really, this is what I have here is special. Mm -hmm. You know, I totally relate to that because I know that traveling as a woman made me very aware of how good I had it in Canada, but it also made me care more about making Canada better. Yes. It made me more of a feminist in my Canadian life because I I saw the other side. And then you come home and you realize there's so much work to be done still. Yes. So it's very educational in that sense. Yes. And, and for me, my, my motto is like, just listen to people. You don't, mm-hmm. you don't have to always say your point of view. You don't always have to impose what you think on people. You don't have yeah. to be the smartest one in the room. Yeah. And to me, travel is the ultimate expression of that. Totally. Right? That's yeah. what it is. And that's what I love about it. So it's not about, I mean, it is about seeing big, beautiful buildings and landscapes, but that's important to me too. You're so right. When I think about like when I was traveling solo, like when I was really mm-hmm. young, I always said that the thing I loved about it was staying in hostels. Mm -hmm. It wasn't even what I was seeing. It was like staying in a hostel and meeting people that I loved so much. Mm -hmm. I loved talking with people from other countries. Yes. And I'm still friends with people that live like on the other side of the world. Same. Yeah. And that's what I I mean. I mentioned it before, but the community of travelers is really, that's a big part of it too, is Mm -hmm. like you and I, I mean, we know each other outside of this podcast. We could talk for hours and hours about this Mm -hmm. and that's great too. That's, that's what I love. Yeah, totally. Well, thank you for doing the work of educating us about the challenges that gay travelers face and for sharing your experiences. You are welcome. We appreciate it. Um, so to finish up, do you want to share with us a funny or fun travel experience yeah, so of yours? <laughs> so this is only funny to me. So if nobody laughs, I'm not going to be sad <laughs> about it. But uh, so I was a huge geek growing up, like mega geek. I literally, instead of reading fiction, I read encyclopedias, <laughs> particularly about like places in the world. Yeah. And it, that was like the foundation for why I travel is I want to see if everything I read is real and true. Mm-hmm. And one of the places I always wanted to go was Istanbul because it's kind of like the crossroads of East and West, different religions, different cultures. It's just like, it's just like such an alluring place to go. And so I got to go a couple of years ago. And one of the places I've always had on my list, like ultimate bucket list thing was seeing Hagia Sophia. And we landed, <laughs> we landed, we saw everything and Hagia Sophia was the last thing on the list. And Explain what it is. Hagia Sophia yeah. is like, it used to be, it used to be like um, an Orthodox cathedral mm-hmm. from thousands of years ago. And then when the Ottomans took over, it was converted to a mosque. Mm-hmm. And now since Ataturk, uh, since the times of Ataturk, it's been converted to a museum and it's got, it's one of the few places in the world where you can see, um, um, calligraphy, like Muslim calligraphy, but also you can see um, iconography from the Orthodox times in the same place. Cool. So it's like the ultimate, like to me, it's like the ultimate statement of what Istanbul is. So I just remember walking up and I, the whole, I went in and, and it was right after there was a bombing and a car bombing in Istanbul. So there, there wasn't a big line to get in. So it was pretty empty. And I remember walking around, I had goosebumps the whole time and I was just really appreciating the moment, like smelling it, feeling things. And I got so overwhelmed, I had to go sit in a corner and cry a little bit. (laughs) And I hadn't taken any pictures yet. And so my mom was like, send me pictures. So I was trying to take selfies, but I kept crying. So all of of my pictures, I look like I I was crying. So I don't have very many good pictures of the place. 
So, so that was it. And, and that's, but that's another great thing, right? Is you get to have those moments and yeah. like, that's one of the most real moments I've ever had. And I, I just went with it. <laughs> And my other people, I was with some journalists and, and they were like, are you okay? I'm like, I'm so okay. It's ridiculous. <laughs> so yeah, self, self cry selfies are, are yeah. pretty spectacular. Yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. My, I think like the top places for me where I've had to cry were the Taj Mahal. Yes. I cried there too. The Sahara yeah. Desert. Yeah. And um, what's it called? The Coliseum, which was a weird one because I didn't think I would be that stoked to see it. It yeah. was just like one of my first trips. And yeah. I was, I just remember staring at it and being like, this has been here forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's mind blowing. <laughs> uh, um, well, thank you again for coming on the pod to talk about queer travel. My pleasure. I learned a lot. Um, do you want to plug your own Instagram or anything? Yeah. Um, so my Instagram is ZAC. It's Z-E-D underscore E-H underscore S-E-E. So you can head there. Otherwise, I'm uh, I'm writing about this very topic for Press Magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I do other, I do other, uh, I write other things about travel as well. You can Google me. I'll put it on Instagram. Yeah. Stuff like that. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Sweet. Uh, many thanks to Katie, as always, who's sitting here making us sound so great. Yeah. Um, and she also adds in the cool little music bits that you hear, which are from from Motion Array. <laughs> if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can find us on Instagram at Alpaca My Bags Pod or our website, which is just alpacamybags.ca. And if you like what you're hearing, please let us know by reviewing the podcast. Um, and you can remember to subscribe while you're at it. Uh, tune in every other Wednesday for more episodes. And of course, I hope you all get to alpaca your bags soon. Until next time. <laughs>